and the Chocolate Factory. A Good Omens multivoice podfic, written by Entangled Now. Chapter 5 The magical boat ride was most certainly not magical in the end. Crowley is still in his seat when it's all over, but only just. He stays curled forward, elbows digging into his thighs, eyes throbbing behind his glasses, while everyone else leaves via the colored path that drops down to connect the boat to the dock. The whole process only adds to his misery. Each of the others stepping off causes the boat to tip one way and then the other, making Crowley's brain feel like it's about to pour out of his ears. He's not sure he can get up, let alone make his way to the exit with the others. It's not nausea. Nausea would be a joy compared to this. It's the unsteady throb of a migraine-adjacent headache, combined with the near-physical assault of that much aggressive color mixing. The sensory overload has left his body completely unwilling to subject itself to anything else right now, whether Crowley likes it or not. Zonka, looming over them all and singing like an unhinged madman, had not helped. Over the sound of his own brain crackling, Crowley can hear Zonka herding everyone into the next chamber, Adam included, where no doubt more bloody saccharine horrors await them all. Crowley doesn't know what's in the flossing room and doesn't particularly care. But he knows that he should make the effort to be upright, to head off the boat with the rest of them. Though at the moment, effort is definitely the right word. He's worried that if he tries to stand up too soon, he's just going to take a spill right over the side. Where he'll have to deal with the sharks and the mystery tunnels of doom, and whatever other nonsense Zonka had populated his underground transportation system with, which he would wager that British Waterways doesn't know about, and probably wouldn't approve of if they did. And please don't hesitate to ask the Erics for your favorite flavor. They'll mix anything your curious heart desires, with toppings of sprinkles and fudge chunks and fruit and even an ambrosia if your luck holds. Crowley tries desperately to tune Zonka out but the man has a soft, excitable voice that keeps slipping in and reminding Crowley that he exists and that they are currently only a few hours into an all-day adventure. He just needs a minute. He's tired and his head hurts like the devil. Everything is too bright and too colorful. But if he could just have a minute to stare at his own black boots where they rest against the glossy nut-brown of the boat-bottom, he can pull himself together again. Maybe. Just five minutes. Look after them for a moment, would you, Eric? Crowley realizes absently that he's been listing sideways for a while, and he's surprised when he suddenly finds himself blinking up at the top of the boat 
which is no longer a psychedelic splash of melting colors, but instead a deep and relaxing shade of blue. He's not sure when that happened. It takes him another few seconds to notice that his head isn't resting on the hard seat of the boat, and that there's no stray belt digging uncomfortably into his left ear. He doesn't quite understand his position until he tips his head slightly and finds himself looking up through dark lenses at Zonka's curious face. He realizes that he stretched himself out along the seat, probably during the last dizzy wave of misery. His edge is now on the impossibly soft material of Zonka's green trousers. What are you doing? You look to be in some difficulty, Zonka says, his voice suddenly sounding less children's entertainer and more soft-spoken librarian, which is at least helping the persistent and angry throbbing inside Crowley's skull. We're not friends, Crowley reminds him, just in case he's gotten it into his head that Crowley has agreed to something. You can't just make yourself a cushion. This is borderline harassment. At the very best, it's an invasion of personal space, since you started leaning alarmingly when I sat down and I simply deigned not to move. Thus you had a soft landing. Songa lays all that out like he's delighted how sensible it all is, which seems deeply unfair. Sensible is the last word Crowley would use to describe anything that's happened this morning. The change of orientation seems to be helping. Still not friends. Crowley should move, but unfortunately Zonka is right. The laying down and not moving is making the world far more well-behaved. The insistent throbbing is still marching back and forth across his entire skull, but he no longer feels like he's going to fall sideways. His eyeballs appreciate the rest, and the lack of offensive colors, too. Also, if Sonka tries anything, it wouldn't be difficult to put a fist somewhere vulnerable. Though it seems unlikely, it's probably more trouble than Crowley's mouth. Sometimes everything can feel a bit much. I'm the same way when I find myself alone in a dark room. I feel like I'm folding in on myself, pieces of me being compressed and diminished. I start to think unpleasant, lonely thoughts. That's narcissism, Crowley mumbles, because he's still feeling less than charitable. It's because you need to be the centre of attention at all times. Sarka's round face doesn't look offended. Instead, there's a faint amusement. I did consider that. But it turns out it's just a fear of the fathomless dark and... It's unstoppable, inevitable march to devour all life and cease all motion in the universe. It gets to me sometimes. Crowley can still see purple spots, and Zonka is not helping by being so utterly Zonka. 
Or that. Sure. He allows. Because if Sorka is convinced he's going to get swallowed up by the darkness, who is Crowley to dissuade him? If you ask him, it doesn't sound like the worst way to go. Songa still smells like caramel sauce and marshmallows, though under the cloying sweetness, there's a faintly masculine smell clinging to the edges of his suit and the curve of his rest. Crowley should move. This is inappropriate and weird and kind of rude, considering how much of a dick he's been to the man so far. But Sonka is also very comfortable, just the right amount of gift to his thighs. Not a thought he was expecting to have today, but there you fucking go. It all makes it uncomfortably real, though. Sonka, being a half-fictitious, candy-scented weirdo who speaks in frustrating riddles and sings at the drop of a hat is one thing. But... Zonka, being an actual living human being, with warm thighs and a reassuringly deep voice, is unacceptable. I believe I can remedy your headache somewhat, with your permission. The words flow down towards him, and Crowley can't help resenting them. Because it's not like he hasn't been dealing with this for years already. He just needs a moment in the dark and for someone not to sing any songs about how headaches are bad at him. Does it involve more drinks? Because I'm going to need a minute to work out how to be upright again. No, no, nothing like that. Though I will need to touch you. Now, that just sounds incredibly wrong. Crowley cracks open an eye, and is treated to the side of Sonka with his ludicrous bow tie and soft double chin, smiling down at him like an escapee from Wonderland. That sounds like something I shouldn't agree to. You're very distrustful. Sonka sounds surprised, as if he can't imagine why Crowley could possibly think people are constantly up to no good. Has he not met people? Or people who aren't Eric, at least? <laughs> Comes from experience. Crowley does his best to make that sound like a pointed comment on Zonka being a bystander to the real world at best. Shut up in his factory listening to his own theme song on repeat. Perhaps some new experiences are in order? Crowley closes his eyes behind his glasses until they stop feeling like they might pop in his skull. Hmm. Must be nice to curate your experiences so you only meet incredibly trustworthy people who only want the best for you. He means that to sound sarcastic, but he doesn't quite have the energy for it. You do make a valid point. That might be the first time that Zonka has actually agreed with Crowley. He can't decide if that's a win or a subtle dick at the sort of people he hangs around with. Crowley could give him the benefit of the doubt, but he's having a terrible day.
Yeah, all day. Sonka still doesn't look offended. He just smiles, as if Crowley's muted irritation amuses him. He can't help wondering how many people fall for this act. You don't get to become a chocolate billionaire without stabbing someone in the back. It just doesn't happen. There's a reason there are rumors about the man. There has to be. But he looks the picture of innocence, with his bouncy neckwear, easy smile, and comfortable thighs. I just want to touch your head and neck to provide some cranial relief. I will stop if you ask me to, of course. I swear to God, if you send me blind... Songa is waiting, his large, soft hands lifted. Crowley gets the impression he'll wait forever, if necessary. Fine, fine, do it. Songa makes a pleased noise that almost has Crowley changing his mind. Then he presses his fingertips together, pushing in to stretch his fingers before lowering them to Crowley's head. Crowley can't quite restrain the urge to tense when Zonka touches him. It seems a bit of an overreaction, when it's really just two warm fingers settling into the hair just above his temples. They slide down with the faintest pressure, but Crowley feels it all the way down his nose and above his eyes. Zonka makes no move to try and take off his sunglasses. Instead, she starts a very slow roll above the legs of them. Some unknown and long-dormant set of nerve endings in Crowley's face decide to start sending signals. The prickling tingle of relief creeps from one gentle movement to the next, a slow smoothing and pressing motion a repetitive track on the skin. The pressure rolls down his cheekbones, then comes back up to slide across his eyebrows. The bend across his eyes relaxes, the thumping in his eyeballs receding. It feels like every bone in his body is giving up its solid state to become some sort of unnameable plasma. Mm. Crowley can't help but feel a bit guilty about the noise, but Zonka kind of deserves it if he's going to start rubbing the faces of strange men. He doesn't look put off by Crowley's strangled noise of bliss, though. He just makes a pleased sound and moves up into his hairline to start all over again. It occurs to Crowley, slowly and with a certain amount of quiet misery, that he can't remember the last time someone who wasn't related to him touched him, and even the few times he gave in and went looking for human companionship, they rarely touched him like this. He's honest enough with himself to know that's probably his own fault. But he'd have forgotten what it felt like to have soft fingers curling in his hair. He knows that's a weird thing to be thinking about when he's lying in a strange man's lap, getting the best face massage he's ever had. 
but it's not like he's in charge of his own memories or the resulting uncomfortable realizations about how he might be just a little bit touch-starved. There's something wrong with this factory, because Crowley doesn't usually let people touch him at all. You can stop if you want. The worst of it's gone, and my eyes don't do well with bright light or colour changes, is all. That's not the sort of thing that would have, or should have, been passed along with the basic information they took on emergency contacts and replacements. But he gets the impression Zonka has more information than he should on the lot of them. No, no, my fault entirely. I thought your sunglasses would be sufficient protection from the tunnel lights. Zonka still makes no attempt to remove them. In fact, he holds the legs between his two other fingers, so they don't dislodge by accident should Crowley turn his head. I would have provided a specially made pair, but yours seemed important to you. Crowley said the same complaint from people his whole life. Wearing sunglasses inside is rude. How do you expect people to connect with you if they can't see your eyes? Could you at least smile so people don't think you're an antisocial weirdo? Of course, he couldn't have possibly imagined that it would lead to him having his head in the lap of a filthy rich recluse in a village-sized sweet factory. He sighs and reaches up, grasps a leg, and very slowly draws them free. He doesn't normally take them off around people he doesn't know, not if he doesn't have to. The comments on his eyes have been constant over the years. But Zonka simply smiles when he opens them, says not a single word about the shape of his pupils, and goes back to doing small gentle circles with his thumbs at Crowley's naked temples. <laughs> You're the weirdest person I've ever met. Zonka, Crowley tells him, though it comes out more bewildered than accusing. Aziraphale. What? That sounded like the world's poshest sneeze. It's my name, Aziraphale. I'd like my friends to call me that. Crowley frowns, because he's never heard that name before in his life. He'd always just assumed his name was Sierra Zonka. Everyone did. All the Zonkas have had strange names. Zira, Zechariah, Zenus, Sedeus. A long line of names that had guaranteed they could never go to school with actual children. I've never heard you called that. You'd be the first. You can't just decide people are going to be your friend. Crowley refuses to feel sorry for someone who's worth billions, no matter how weird and lonely his childhood might have been. Especially when it's still possible that he's a serial killer who's been impersonating his own relatives for the last 200 years. And yes, he's aware of how impossible that sounds. Isn't that how people make friends? 
meeting people that spark a curiosity, a wonder, a desire to know them. Crony wants to protest all of that, because it's not like you get to decide. Not unless they're five. Only kids get to make friends that easily. Adults have to deal with other adults, with all the history and trauma and habits. You have schedules and responsibilities and demands on your time, and the moments you have to yourself are too precious to waste on people you don't like. Eventually, you reach the point where you can't just run up to someone and decide you're going to hang out every afternoon and do dumb stuff together. It works differently when you're an adult. People might not like it, but it's true. Crowley doesn't have any friends that he hasn't cobbled together through the remains of his past, and most of them he only likes half the time. Some of them are pretty unpleasant people now. He's not sure whether he stays with them through a fading sense of nostalgia or determination to at least look as if he has a social life. Or maybe he just hates the thought of being completely alone, no matter what he tells everyone else. You have to put the work in, he adds belatedly, because he remembers that they were actually having a conversation. Oh, I've never been afraid of a little hard work. Sanka makes a gesture which Crowley wants to describe as a fist shake of enthusiasm only done in such a way that it doesn't dislodge Crowley from his lap. <laughs> really? Because it looks like you do no work at all around here. You leave it to your 5,000 identical assistants. Sanka actually laughs at that. Not at all. I walk the factory every day, making sure everything is in tip-top shape. Testing new confections. Planning more efficient ways to blend, whip and cream the flavors in? Well, that doesn't sound suspect or lewd at all. And the Eriks? Crawley should really ask what the hell is going on with that. The fact that there appears to be an unlimited supply of one man for a start, which seems only possible if Zonka is cloning people. And even Crony knows that's wildly illegal, not to mention the moral implications. Sarka's head slowly tips sideways and thought. Do you know I'm not entirely sure how many of them there are? They put a request in for new badges and uniforms every so often. There always seem to be enough to fill new positions which open, and the ones who... The ones who leave are replaced by new Eriks, and work continues. I'm sure if a comprehensive count becomes important, they'll come to me. How can the man not know how many employees he has? It's not like Zonka chocolate is made anywhere else. You can't just ballpark your employees on payroll. You are paying them, right? Minimum wage, at least. Of course I pay them. The Eriks are my employees, and they are indispensable. I can't imagine trying to do any of what I do without them. So, 
minimum wage, at least? I expect so. They're very firm about having everything all in order. I could find out, I suppose. But they rather sort themselves out when it comes to wages and accommodation. The sunglasses that Crowley had been absently holding dropped to the floor with a clatter. <clears throat> Hang on a sec. Are you seriously telling me that you let your employees just pay themselves whatever they like? How can Zonka not know that isn't normal? There's a murmur of agreement, though, and the hands on Crowley's face go still and fall away. Mm -hmm. Like I said, they are indispensable. I'm sure they do a marvellous job with their salaries and company benefits. I'm very proud of them all. Holy shit! Crowley is half-tempted to ask if Sonka has an opening, but he's probably been desperate and pathetic enough for one day, and he's not entirely sure whether the being an Eric is a non-negotiable part of the job. Which is a fairly horrifying thought that he really wishes his brain hadn't just offered up. I should get up, he says instead, because now he's effectively just lying on a stranger. He reaches for wherever his sunglasses went, which turns out to be half under the seat, and then slips them back into place. Take your time. Zonka pats the outside of his thighs, as if to suggest that he's perfectly comfortable where he is. What are friends for, after all? Crowley sighs and pulls himself to a sit, relieved when the boat doesn't react to the movement. He feels a little light-headed and his eyes are itchy, but he's mostly fine. He should thank Zonka for the face massage, though that would involve admitting that a face massage actually took place. It had felt a lot less incriminating when he was in horrible pain. <sighs> Look, thanks for the hand. It helped, really. Technically, there'd been two hands and an entire lap, but he doesn't really want to point that out. I appreciate that you're exceptionally weird, and you don't know how friendship works. But normal people try and work out if they have something in common with the other person first. They share interests, uh, hang out in social settings, go bowling. God, no, they don't. No one goes bowling, do they? That's just how Crowley has always imagined it as a kid. Adults just went about their lives try not to make the same fuck-ups as their parents slash friends, go out drinking together, and occasionally end up in a doorway kissing someone they know that they probably shouldn't. Crowley is immediately forced to imagine kissing Zonka under the influence of that memory, of knocking his stupid top head off and dragging him in by his ridiculous oversized bow tie. See if he could tickety-boo his way through a hand in his hair 
and Crony's teeth in his lip. It's not an awful mental image. At least it isn't, until he ends up picturing the Erics showing up to sing about Crony's poor life choices halfway through. All right, not bowling, he says when he realizes he's been quiet for too long and Zonka is still looking at him like he's about to share some of the great mysteries of being a normal person. I don't know. You have to find something both of you are interested in. Do that together, maybe. Talk about your lives. Be supportive of their terrible decisions. Call them out when they're being an unreasonable dick. Crowley frowns. He's just projecting now. I'm sure I could be a very good friend, given the opportunity. Crowley suspects he's not going to win this one, and he'd rather keep the lack of headache he currently has. Uh, sure you could, but best not to force it, eh? Let it grow, naturally. It just comes across as creepy, otherwise. He's never met anyone that's all nonsense from the front, but so damn unsettling from every other angle. He sorts of wants this awkward conversation over with, because Songa's lack of sharp edges and frustrating ability to feel genuine doesn't sit well with Crowley's tendency to think the worst of everyone. He thinks Zonka might be funny somewhere under there, and Crowley's weakness has always been people who are kind and funny. He's not going to see the man after today. Zonka will go back to being a weird recluse, and Crowley will go back to the flat he could barely afford when he was employed. He collects his bag and his jacket and carefully heads off the boat, determinedly ignoring the way Zonka is smiling at him while he leaves. The kids spend a while making candy floss with the Eric's, mixing the colored sugar and then putting on gloves and carefully spinning it in giant hot bowls. They pack the results into small buckets with lids that they can shut up and stuff it in their bags for later. Then they get to cut their sweets and watch them boxed, picking the names and the font and the coloring. Crowley can safely say that there are no budding graphic artists among them, though Brian does indeed make poop shapes, and Crowley genuinely hopes they do very well. They are packed onto another tram, and they are zipping off along a flashing blue track, which seems designed to showcase several open areas. The children press their faces to the glass as they pass what looks like a forest made of crystalline candy trees, where they can see animals roaming wild among them. Then there's a racetrack, where several Eric's in jumpsuits and helmets seem to be testing a variety of strange and impossible vehicles. Finally, a giant replica kitchen table, 
Their vast animatronic hands are rolling out a tennis court-sized stretch of pastry. How is all this possible? Sunglasses mom asks, the parents around her making noises that feel like the same question. Yeah, Zonka, how are you managing all this? Tanktop Dad is as close to the window as he can get without squashing his nose against the glass. Did you spike our coffee? Master Stowling accuses, and he seems deadly serious about it. Crowley hadn't drunk the coffee, and he's still looking at three Eric's carrying a giant bottle of vanilla essence and then climbing a stepladder to add it into a giant mixing bowl. He has no idea how all of this fits inside. The place had looked big from the outside, but not this big. They've traveled at least four or five miles by his guess, and as far as he can tell, not in a circle. The whole place makes no fucking sense. Zonka gathers the children to ask them what they want to visit first after lunch. The racetrack, the land of candy giants, or the zoo. Adam votes for the racetrack, but she gets outvoted three to one in favor of the zoo. Zonka reassures him that they'll have plenty of time to see it all, and then presses a button on the back of the driver's compartment. The driver who Crowley assumes is yet another Eric, gently turns the tram towards the forested stretch of park where impossible birds can be seen moving in the sky over a herd of long-necked giraffes. Crowley doesn't hate the zoo. He has good memories from when he was a kid. It might actually be fun. To be continued in chapter 6.